Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to Mastermind.fm. Your hosts today are Ninja James Laws of Ninja Forms fame and myself, Jean Galea from WP Mayor and WPRSS Aggregator. Thank you so much for joining us today as we talk about hiring and support. Well, it's more about support and we'll be probably going on to hiring in the next episode, depending on how we go with time this episode. So, James, how can we start off this episode and tackle the hard job of providing good support for a plugin or any kind of WordPress business? Yeah, Jean, it, this is a this is a one of those questions that we love to talk about or love to hate, if you will. And one of the things you'll constantly hear whenever you talk to product people, and, and rightful, rightfully so, that support is one of these costs and needs that just continues to grow as your product grows. But the problem that I seem to see, and I'll probably address this first as we go into talking about support, is kind of a philosophical stance on support. A lot of times we think of support as the inevitable thing that we have to do because we have a product, instead of looking at it as an opportunity to engage with our customers. So, and, and sadly for many companies, this is the only and the first engagement people have with you. Something went wrong with your product, and so they're reaching out for help. And now you have an opportunity to engage with them. So instead of looking at it as a thing to, to close a ticket, to stop the conversation, to end it, start looking at ways you can engage that customer further. Not only help their issue, which is what you want to do, but what are some other ways you can utilize that relationship and extend that relationship further to get more information, to make your products better, to make your services better, to make your image better and your brand better. So I think for the very first thing is kind of reframing the way we think about support, that support isn't the begrudgingly thing we have to do uh, every morning we get up and we look at our support tickets, but it's an opportunity I get to engage with my customers. I get to have communication and dialogue, and they've initiated it with me, and so now I have this great opportunity. I'm not going to even get into the topic of finding ways to engage your customers before they have problems. That's another, maybe perhaps another episode altogether. But for now, if since support may be the only channel you have to engage customers, I'd at least start with looking at it as an opportunity and not a problem. And now that we've framed support in a positive light, which rightly so you've done, I'd like to focus a bit on those people who are thinking of starting a WordPress business but haven't done it yet. I'd like to maybe talk about how much support is, how, how big a part it is in a business like ours. Can people expect to make passive income when developing a product for WordPress? Or is there something that they have to do on a daily basis, support being one of them? In my experience, I guess support is 70% of our effort as a team. The other 30% being development. And this is obviously discounting or not taking into consideration marketing and other outreach aspects. But if we divide the business into development and support, support is a huge chunk of the work to be done. And it has to be done on a daily basis if your plugin is in any way successful and you have new customers coming in every day. Yeah, support is... Not only is it probably take up a majority of your time, depending on your team, right? Like 
you may have team members that are dedicated towards support. And so depending on how your team makeup may change that percentage for you a little bit, you know, for our support team, it's 100% of what they do, but, uh, and we have a development team and that's 100% of what they do. But in the long, in, in, in the, uh, the bigger picture, right, support is at the very least, if you think about like old principles, like the 80-20 principle, it's the, it is the work that's, that seems like it takes up the most time, but it's also the frontline most important work that we do. Um, but it does. It's a growing cost. It's going to, as your pr- plugin becomes more popular, your support load is going to become bigger. That's just the, the inevitable nature of support. And there might be people wondering whether it is even possible to have a kind of passive income plugin business. And in my experience, it's also possible, but you have to set your priorities um, in the beginning to focus on a product that will not generate a lot of support requests. I've seen products, especially when they are add-ons for an existing plugin, say WooCommerce or Easy Digital Downloads. We have plugins like PDF generators for orders. And that's the, typically this, this kind of plugin will not need updates or support, at least not as frequently as we have in our businesses. Another thing to keep in mind is if you do that, go down that route, um, EDD offers their own support. So you don't have to do the support yourself when you really use a plugin on their platform. So if you absolutely don't have time or for some reason don't have the inclination to provide support going down this route to offer an add-on for EDD or WooCommerce or even, I guess, Ninja Forms is a good way to go for you. Yeah, I think the, the idea of passive income is kind of this the unicorn idea, right? I can build something once, make money forever, and never have to do anything else again with it. And yes, it is it is possible in some in in some ways, but generally, I mean, those are those add-ons that are going to be popular enough to make enough money. You know, or products or plugins. I don't. They don't have to be add-ons, but those plugins that are popular enough to make enough money and yet not have any support load are really hard to find. I mean, those are tough, tough things to find. And so you mentioned something like PDF invoices or something like that. Um, and I, again, I certainly don't know what kind of numbers that particular product generates. But my guess is you would have to have lots of little things like that that might require very little work. Um, but then again, if you know uh, if you're building off of a marketplace like EDD or Ninja Forms and their API changes and major changes, then you have to rewrite all of those little plugins to kind of still function. So there, the idea of completely and total passive income, I think, is a misnomer. I don't think that actually exists in most cases, not in products generally. Yeah, for sure. The case of support, as we said, if you go onto a platform where you can sort of outsource the support, that's an important consideration. Yeah. So thinking of decreasing support, is there any way that for a product in general where you're doing support yourself, are there any ways where we can take steps to decrease the load and cost of support? Well, I think the, the key one, right, is look for gaps in your product. I think that's kind of the most important thing right off is are you getting are you getting a lot of customers who don't don't seem to understand a particular feature and so you're constantly answering that question or constantly pointing them doc, to documentation it might be time to rewrite or rethink that feature completely um, because when you create a product you have all of these ideas and understandings about what this feature does and how it works but your users don't have that same knowledge they have a there's an information gap between your users and yourself and so you might want to look at those problematic pieces and just rewrite them 
Uh, so just in the product itself, we went through a process of this with Ninja Forms, where three is a big part of that, like Ninja Forms 3.0 is a big part of looking at problematic and complicated features for our users and saying, how can we make them as easy and as simple as possible so that we perhaps head off those requests at the past? Like there's no need to make the request because those things are understood. That's one way. Um, do you have perhaps one of your own? I think we use as forms where there, there's some kind of interactivity happening before our customers actually submit a support request. They're going through the series of steps, which helps to narrow down their problem based on their responses to the form itself. And that helps them get immediate answers or else guide them to even the support person most likely to be able to answer their their queries and i've seen other intelligent forms where you get answers as you type as well i don't know actually if ninja forms has the ability to do that as it actually arose in our team meeting this week where some of our developers were asking whether we should implement such kind of intelligent searching on the fly when people are typing yeah, no, and as far as I know, no forms plugins offers that specifically, but all of them have been edited to do such a thing. So EDD does it. I think they're using Gravity Forms, but they do the same thing where they have actually integrated, I believe, with their Help Scout documentation API. And as you search, they pull up documentation for that. And you could do the same thing with any of the form plugins uh, and write something similar to do that. And so that's a really smart way of doing it, right? So as they think they're writing a question, a subject to you to get an answer, you're immediately looking at that information and saying, hey, here's documentation that's pertinent. So that's a great way of doing it. Just having robust documentation in general can help. Um, so having thorough user documentation is a, is a big piece. But you have to also consider the fact that when your customers are looking for answers, they're not in learning mode. You know, this mode where they want to learn how to use your product thoroughly, they're in doing mode. They just want to complete a task. And so lots sometimes we think that they don't want to read our documentation or they've skipped our documentation, but that's not it. They just have a simple task they're trying to, or in their mind, a simple task that they're trying to accomplish. And they're just not in the mode to read lots and lots of documentation. So they will take the path of least resistance and try to go directly to you to get an answer. And in some cases you want that, but in others, you want to try to find ways of, of decreasing the number of those tickets that come through. And perhaps adding this kind of resistance is the aim here, where you don't want them to contact you for their own benefit. And let me give you an example. I'm sure that before you did the rewrite, there were some things, as we have, where a long time you realize where you've implemented a, f a function in a non-optimal way. So what happens? You, you start getting repetitive questions being asked in, in your support system. So what we've done is actually identified these weak points in our product, obviously try to improve them. When the framework we have doesn't permit it, we just try to catch those uh, questions when people are submitting the form and giving them an answer right away. So that eliminates the to and fro and shaves off a couple of hours between them asking the question and getting the answer. Yep. No, I think that's that's a great way of handling it. We've we've done something similar too, where we have a, I think when you ask for support, instead of doing like the live search for documentation, we just target our top five issues. Hey, are any of your issues here? And if they check that, then we give them the information that they need. And if they say, no, my issue's not listed, then we let them continue on. 
because it's obviously not one of our top five common issues. So we kind of do something similar. Do you divide actually your, the, the incoming questions into specific sections, I would say, or topics? For example, we have pre-sales, we have support, that kind of thing. Yeah, we do. We, br we break those up a little bit. Um, we give the user the chance to ask, say, you know, I'm, I, I have a pre-sales question or, or I'm requesting a refund or um, whatever. Uh, so, yeah, we do. We kind of break those up a little bit. And do you have at the same time on the back end, which, which system are you using? Help Scout? So currently we're using desk.com, um, which is a Salesforce product. And so in the back end, tickets come in tagged with that particular reason that the person was requesting help assistance, whether that be, like I said, sales, refund request, general support, things like that. So they do come in and based on those tags, we prioritize tickets. And we also have a system where if you're not logged in, um, we tell customers to use a different form so that we can label them based on their member or their customer level with us. And that gives those users a little higher priority so that we make sure that we're dealing with people, who, obviously, who paid us money first and then start working with the free users after that. Right. So I don't think um, Help Scout can give you prioritization. No, that was the reason we left, actually. <laughs> I remember discussing this with you. And uh, so what we do is just divide them into specific folders and also assign particular people. In the case, for example, if of a refund request, only a specific person in our support team is authorized to use PayPal to give a refund. So all the requests for refunds go directly to him. And that's the way we work. It's a simpler version, I guess, of what you have. Sounds the prioritization. And we do the same thing um, as far as like refunds. There, you know, Not everybody has refund capability. Um, at this time, our entire support team has refund capability. Um, we have you know, our support manager who's really kind of more of an operations guy now and then two support team members. But they have all kind of, I guess, graduated to the level where we have given them permission to do refunds and things like that. So I guess we would consider them kind of tier two support, if you will. And uh, does desk.com give you license info as well on the screen where you're answering the questions? Yeah, we wrote a we wrote a little plugin that goes to our um, server and grabs all the license information. So we have all the links and active licenses and stuff like that. What happens when they use a different email address to contact you? Um, well, I mean, if they use a different email, we might not see licensing information. And if they a are asking a question about a paid product, we simply tell them, we don't see any licenses um, associated with this email address. Have you possibly purchased with a different email address? And if they give us that email address, we can actually enter it into their customer uh, information under desk, and then it'll start to pull that license information. It doesn't have to actually be the email that we're corresponding with, but we can add it to their customer, and we'll get it from either email address. I think that's possible with Help Scout as well. I believe so. We definitely have the license information for people who submit questions from the same email that they've used for buying. And now before we head to a different topic, let's have a short break for our sponsor and we'll be back with you soon. Jean and I would like to take a moment and thank WP Engine for being the first official sponsor of Mastermind.fm. We're honored to have such a great host investing in this show as well as all of our listeners. As we were discussing this new partnership, the team over at WP Engine provided us with an exclusive offer just for Mastermind.fm listeners. This offer is for four months free when you pay for a year of hosting. To take advantage of this great offer, simply enter the coupon code MASTERMIND at checkout. 
As someone who runs an e-commerce business, I can't stress enough the importance of having solid hosting and WP Engine is one of the best. If you haven't settled on a host or you're thinking about making a switch, uh, we hope you'll give WP Engine a try and send us an email at podcast at mastermind.fm and let us know about your experience with their fantastic service. Welcome back and we'd like to talk about team structures, which is very important. Obviously, as a lone developer starting with a product, you're most likely to be supporting the product yourself early on. However, you soon find out that support takes over your life. So (laughs) you have to start hiring. So let's talk about team structures and hiring. Do you have a specific structure in place, James? Yeah. So, you know, when we got started, like talking about that first solo stand standpoint, it was me and my business partner. Uh, he did all the development mostly. I mean, I did a little bit of development help, but he did handle the brunt of the development work. So when su- we started hand- getting support requests, I would always handle first touch support and handle everything that I could and only pass to him those things that were kind of above my head or that I didn't understand or that seemed like really bugs with the code and things like that. We d- operated like that for a really long time, probably maybe longer than we should have. Have, but I probably right at the threshold. Uh, and then we hired our first support person. And this is when we started to formulate our ideas around support. So what we have decided to do, and we're going to talk about some different perspectives, but from our perspective, what we decided to do was we wanted to hire people with great customer service skills, people with good interpersonal skills who were good at communicating, who were good at uh, explaining and detailing information, who were good at have showing empathy towards a person, um, seeing it from their perspective. Because what we wanted in our support team is we don't want just people who can answer questions. We want people who can advocate on behalf of the customer. So we want them to engage the customer, get the information, help them with their issue, and then come back to the whole team and say, I've solved this problem, but the way we're doing it is wrong and it's bad for customers and here's why. Like I, we want that pushback from our support team. So our support team isn't just, aren't just people who answer questions, they're advocates on behalf of the customers to the product team so that we can make the product better for them. Uh, so what we've done is we've hired pr- support people. We don't hire WordPress people, we don't hire developer people, we hire support people. Uh, and that has got, done really well for us. So our structure is at this point is we hire solely for support. And so currently we have about three people on our support team. Right. And uh, in our case, we hire developers or junior developers at most. Why we don't hire dedicated support people is because the work is changing. So the load can change. And that means that if we don't have support, uh, enough support tickets coming in, then we don't have work for the people who are behind the system. And being developers, that gives us the chance to reassign them temporarily, even if it's just for a day on some bug or issue that needs uh, fixing. And that keeps us very flexible. And I know other plugins use the same approach. Um, I think we were discussing earlier and you mentioned Delicious Brains, which who only hire developers. And I also had heard in the past about MailPoet who do something similar. In the case of MailPoet, I don't know if they still do it, but a few years back, what they used to do was have each person doing one day of support per week. And that helps them keep in touch with the end customer, which I believe is very important. And in your case, I guess the disadvantage is having the developers lose touch with the people behind the product. So there must be some way of bringing back 
the feelings and emotions of the customers back to the, the developers, right? Yeah, so we, well, first of all, we constantly have team meetings so that support can, as I said, become the advocate of the customer and argue on behalf of the customer. And because they're also intimately aware with the product, they can probably do a better job than the customer of talking about why this is a bad, the bad, the way we're handling it and how we can improve it. And so we have discussions around that. On the, on the flip side of that is everyone on our team does support. So even though we have a dedicated support team, everybody, including myself, gets in the support system and answers questions um, and engages with our customers. That is a priority for us as a company. We want to know the pulse of what our customers are experiencing, how they're feeling, how they're being engaged. And so everybody does support. Support isn't a, a departmental thing. Support is an all team, an all business thing for us. So everybody kind of gets in there and does that. I do want to say the danger for me I see of hiring people like all developers for, per se, like talk about hiring all developers um, exclusively and then doing support, is eventually you might find your support load getting so heavy that somebody has to be in it constantly. And if somebody wants to be a developer and they're spending hours and hours and hours in support, you could find, and I'm not saying this is always the case or this would always happen, you could find somebody who becomes disenfranchised or unhappy with their current work position because they're doing something that they didn't ever intend to do in the first place. So by hiring people who are passionate about support and love support, and that's what they signed on to do, I think you can avoid that a little bit. But you also have to create room for people to grow in and out of positions. So while we hire people strictly for support. If they come along the line and then decide, I want to pursue development, then we're going to give them the resources they can to to grow and, and grow. And I don't I like to say not not to uh, grow up in the company, but to grow laterally in the company because a developer is certainly not better than our support team and our support team is not better than our development team. They just have different roles. But if they want to change roles, we're going to give them the tools to do that if that's what they want to do because we want our team to be in, uh, passionate and happy and excited about the work that they do. But that's one of the challenges that I can I can see with hiring exclusively developers. That, not to mention, eventually you have other positions, right? Content marketing and Developers certainly are certainly maybe good at writing technical pieces, although most are not. Some are. You can limit your positions that you can hire for. Not to mention, developers are more expensive. <laughs> you know, from a staffing standpoint, it's more expensive to hire developers than it is to hire, uh, say, a support person. That is a different salary uh, position. So that's something to consider as well. Right. I'm glad you mentioned it because we have we had come across this issue a few months ago where as we grew, our main developer started getting itchy about spending most of the day in support, you know. So what we did was that we actually implemented a three tier structure where we have level one support, level two and level three. And what level one does is they address pre-sales questions and easy questions on how the software works and how to do things. Level two can be mostly dedicated to testing reported bugs and filing reports and in our bug tracker. And then they can occasionally also provide small customizations and code fixes. Typically, level two would be a junior developer. Level three, in our case, is the actual developer who's working on the code on a daily basis. And since they know the code intimately, they can tackle complex setups on the client's end and also important issues with the product where we'd have to, say, restructure a piece of code or implement a new feature. 
that all goes to the developer directly. And this three-level approach has proved very handy for us for scaling support. Obviously, we document everything we do. We use Confluence for documentation, internal documentation. And when we need to hire new people, we just have everything documented and have them being be handholded for the first few days by the previous person doing that level of support. And that way they can easily grow into that position without any problems. That's awesome. Let's talk about that a little bit more. Before we do, though, let's take a quick break for another one of our sponsors uh, as we uh, get, begin to wrap up this uh, and kind of bring this to a closure. Check this out. We all know how important security is on today's web. This week's episode of Mastermind.fm is brought to you by SiteLock, the global leader in website security solutions. They bring you the most comprehensive suite of security software on the web with vulnerability scanning, malware detection, removal, and prevention. They also offer Global CDN, the content delivery network, to boost your speed and ensure your visitors are reaching you as quickly and efficiently as possible, no matter where in the world they are. Give SiteLock a look at sitelock.com slash mastermind. Welcome back. Uh, so we, so Jean has just been talking about his three kind of tier approach of support. Uh, you know, the first tier being kind of sales, uh, pre-sales questions. Second tier being more, um, you know, answering usability questions about the product and stuff like that. And then going up to, uh, and maybe some bugs, some initial earlier easier bugs, and then to a third tier, which is the main product developer handling those more complicated issues that, that only they can probably handle. So it's definitely some interesting and interesting perspective on, on, on handling support. And I think that works. I think we do something similar. Um, we just have it set up as support and developer, like we separate it. So in, in our support system, we have kind of tier one, tier two supports. Right now, all of our support are tier two. We don't have any tier one support members at this point. But when it needs to go to a developer, when it gets to a developer level, it does go to our junior developer uh, or one of the, uh, I would say, the newer developers in the team to handle the initial bug testing and, and checking with that. And then if they can't resolve the issue themselves, they will elevate it to the actual product lead and work with them on that. So we do kind of a similar a similar thing with that. Have you seen have you found as far as dealing with your your tiered support? So who handles your your pre-sales questions? It would be level 1 support. Now because all of your support are developers. Well, actually one of them isn't. Level 1 isn't a developer. Okay, so you've have so you have started transitioning to having a non-developer support role. Okay, very cool. I'd be, you know, interestingly enough, maybe some, maybe someday down the road, we can have somebody like Brad or somebody on who has full development. See, talk about how he manages his team and manages the support load versus the development load versus the content mode. And they're doing some good content marketing. They're writing some great articles. They are geared strictly, strictly towards developers, um, but their customers are strictly developers. Uh, so that's completely fitting for their content marketing. So it'd be interesting to hear how they how he manages that, and they seem to have a good system going as well from an, an entire develop, entirely developer-based team. So I think that'd be an interesting perspective. Yeah. WordPress product businesses tend to be on a smaller scale, so I don't see any problem with having jack-of-all-trades and the team being able to do multiple tasks, not just support or development. And I think in a small team, that's actually helpful to have these overlaps between roles obviously as you grow further then you have to specialize and it makes sense to offer a better service to your customers as well 
I can say too, your support structure and really your team structure is really what we're talking about, your overall team, because we've talked a lot about developers and, and, and stuff. So it's not just the support role, how the makeup of your team, what your, if you will, your organizational chart looks like, however you want to term that, is really going to be based on where you see your going, yourself going as a company as well. So I had a very particular picture of what I wanted the WP Ninjas to become. And because of that, I had a development department, I had a support department, and I have a content department. And those are three pillars of our business. And so I look at those as very, being very distinct, and I want to hire ski specifically skilled people in those and allow people to cross over as necessary. So for instance, we have a content writer. He's a great researcher. He likes to, he's, he's great at researching topics. He's great at breaking down technical uh, information into very simple terms. And he does all of our writing. Uh, or I would say he does 80% of our writing. But 20% of our writing is done by our developers, by our support team, by all of us. So we all write. In social media, I handle a majority of the, I, I, at least I did handle a social media. One of our support people does a lot of our social media. But we all dabble in the social media of, of promoting, our, promoting our products. We have a development team. But our head of support sometimes gets in there and tries to write some code or writes an add-on and plays around with that and, and, and contributes to the development team. And the development team does support. And the development team writes documentation. So I, my, my approach is, is I want everyone to contribute to every other department, but I want, I want highly skilled leads in each of these pillars so that they are specialized and focused on making our content great or making our services great or making our development great. Um, while allowing some cross-pollination of people helping out in each area, if that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. And actually, that's the same system we use, only not having it maybe documented or so, so clear in our minds as you have it. Sure. In fact, our level one support doubles up as the team leader when it comes to support and also as the product manager. And so he makes sure that you know support is maintained at a certain level. And then we have the lead developer who's in charge of taking the product forward, so on and so forth. So I think it's important to have those roles well-defined and have responsibility assigned to a specific person for each sector of your business. Before we close this off, I don't know if you have some other recommendations. I had one recommendation, which is to go for a help desk solution early on in the business. I've seen a lot of people try to use email like Gmail to start off with support and it's just a recipe for disaster as you grow further. I think one of our best decisions was to follow the advice of other previously established businesses who suggested that we move to Help Scout right away and that's what we did and I can say it's been a blessing for us as it allowed us to grow further without having the problem of migrating from uh, an email account-based support system. I would second that. And I would also say, as a, far, as, as a part of finding a help desk solution, is don't be afraid to research and experiment new solutions if the one that you have doesn't fill all your needs. So we started off with kind of a homegrown uh, support system that I had built myself. 
then we realized when we started to add team members that it wasn't functional enough for us. And so we expanded to using Help Scout. So we went to Help Scout for a, a good portion of time. Um, but then we got to the situation where we needed prioritization of customers over free, of, of tickets that could escalate because Help Scout didn't give us any way of saying that this ticket is more important than that ticket. It just, every ticket was the same. And they kind of gave us a workaround of, well, you could use workflows to do that. And I'm like, no, that's not the same thing. You obviously don't understand priority. So we had to look for another solution. So we ended up using desk.com. But we're now at a place where desk.com, the priority system that we have is not as necessary. And so it's a cost that we might not need to incur because it's a fairly expensive product. And we might be able to actually downscale to a simpler system. And we haven't decided what that system is yet. Um, for now, we're going to stay put. But don't be afraid to research, experiment, find a system that works for your team. Because as your team grows, your needs within your support system, not may, most likely will change to some degree. And so it's better to find a solution that works than trying to, you know, jam a square peg into a round hole. Like, do the do your research and figure out what are what are the things that are important to you and then find a system that fills that need i agree another one is zendesk for any people interested in doing some research and in the past it was also very common to use forums however it's been discouraged over the years and i would say i would agree with not using forums because as we mentioned earlier people who are usually contact you on support are in the mood to do things and are not really likely to stay searching for an answer within your support forum. Also to consider that things might have changed from the time that an answer would have been written and so that answer might not even be uh, applicable to the person who has the same question at a later stage. Yeah, I agree. Forums are... Uh are bad for a number of reasons, and we probably could dedicate a whole episode of why you shouldn't use forums. So um, I'll just leave with what you said. Those are all good points. <laughs> Excellent. So before we close off, we have another five-star rating on iTunes. Thank you very much. The author is One-Eyed View, and he's from the US. I'd like to see some reviews from other countries, actually. Lately, it's been just the US. <laughs> I hope there are other people listening to us out there. <laughs> Anyway, so the title is Why Didn't They Start This Sooner? Interesting. And so he says, James and John have done an amazing job with content in just a half dozen episodes so far. The discussions and knowledge shared are enlightening and both are easy to listen to. Well done, gentlemen, and keep up the great work. Thank you very much for this review and we look forward to receiving more reviews and more questions from our listeners. And in the meantime, you can find us on Twitter, myself, Jean Galea, and James. You can find me at James Laws. And as usual, you can also submit questions via our speak pipe on mastermind.fm and also on the contact form. So that's all for today. We'll see you in the next episode. See ya. See you.